Blessings. And welcome back to another episode of Pew Babies, your apostolic millennial podcast. I'm Ron. I'm Mike. And today we have a special guest host with us. He's not a stranger to the show. Welcome to Pew Babies. If you don't mind introducing yourself, please. No problem. I'm the West Coast Connection, Brother Katie Smith. <laughs> yes. Amen. Welcome back, Brother Katie. <laughs> um, so how you guys this week been? How's everything going, y'all? Been holding up? <laughs> oh Lord, that was a loaded question, huh? My week has been my week has been good, very productive, but I'm ready for some sweet rest this weekend. So Amen. It's been a 2003 Whitney Houston week for me, so. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) What does that even mean? Oh, Lord. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) But we thank God. We praise God. (laughs) That he won't, he won't let you, he won't let you fall. If you lean on him. You can lean on him. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, man, how was your week this week, Ron? God has been so good to me. I've got the praise. Sorry. <laughs> no, burdens have been lifted. That's all I got to say, saints. He will live by it. <laughs> Come on now. Come on. But um, yeah, so I do have some church controversy to start the show. So um, hopefully I don't go into much about the new mic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you won't. <laughs> okay, good. So my first question for tonight is what should we call God? Is it okay to call God daddy, homie, friend? What's y'all feelings on that? Should we call God outside of Jesus, Elohim, Adonai, you know? You know, the Bible says there is a name. So <laughs> because he has a name, I like to call him by his name, but I, I'm not I'm not into that daddy God stuff. That's just me. <laughs> yeah, I I mean, you know, I don't, you know, I, I don't want to speak for nobody what they call God, but um to agree with Kenny, like people start calling him daddy God. And I've heard people do this in church. So um, you know, oh, thank you, daddy God, or thank you, dad, you know, like, no, just call him by his name. Just, you know, just acknowledge him for who he is. Um but no, I don't, I'm not a fan of it. You know, homie, so it crosses the line a little bit. Um, but yeah, let's just stick with who he is and call him by his name. Okay. What about you, Ron? How you feel about that? Mm. <laughs> hey, it ain't the same without the name. So it's the same without the name. <laughs> like, because I was also going to ask uh, as a follow-up, how do y'all feel about like the saints saying Yahweh and stuff like that? <laughs> You know, I remember when, uh, what's his name? Mally Music came out with Yahweh. Mm-hmm. And like as a song, I like the song. But I remember that that even started controversy with some of the older saints. Like, okay, Yahweh, but what's his name? You know, the older saints were very, very adamant. And I think they put so much in us that it's like, okay, there are God's many, but there's only one Jesus Christ. And so we need to make sure that we're, that we all are on one accord and we know who we're talking about. Because I know there's a church out there that calls their leader daddy too, you know. Mm-hmm. And so you start getting into some of these other names and titles. I don't know who you're praying to. I don't know who you worship. <laughs> so we need to get on one accord, you know. What a beautiful name it is. Yes. If <laughs> yeah. 
if what you call it, I'm not gonna call his name is listening to this show, he'll get Uh-oh. the inside joke on that. What a beautiful name it is. Um, no, so I I went to a church in college. We used to sing the song Yahweh, but when we got to the Yahweh part, we just omitted that part because it wasn't the name of God. Like they wasn't, you know, they didn't want to sing it. So I was like, what's the point of singing the song? Anyway. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, um, I get, you know, I can get it, but again, like I think for me, you know, it it's okay in the song there, but to like, you know, go around, you know, I just want to thank the Yahweh or I just want to, you know, I praise Yahweh, you know, it would be a little bit off-putting. So going back to what Kenny said, my past, he didn't even like those you. He was like, who is you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we praise you. We bless you. Who is you? <laughs> Put some Jesus in there. Somewhere. Right. <laughs> so I guess this next question is going to be easy for you guys then. Um, I've been hearing some people try to, well, I shouldn't say try, referring to God as she. And I wanted to know <laughs> what you guys thought of that. I see faces. Well, no, because I when I was in college i know like 50 years ago right 19 because michael we were in college in 1925 right <laughs> oh my god no, <laughs> anytime i call myself oh i have to call the apostle you know old as well <laughs> but um no back when i was in college there were people going around on the campuses and they were recruiting for their religion saying that they are not um only worshiping God the Father, they're worshiping God the Mother. Yes. And I was like, see, who is God the Mother? You know, and they went into this whole thing. They were trying to show me in scripture. I was like, hey, you can't show me nothing in scripture because I already am fully persuaded on this subject. So when we get into some of that, I mean, you know, we got to be careful again in what we're talking about because you're talking about she. And someone can pick up on that and be like, oh, you, oh, you worship God the mother. Okay. And that could create a whole nother can of worms and nobody wants to go down that rabbit hole. So I think we just need to be specific and clear on who we worshiping and who we're serving and who we're talking about. Mike, you referring to God as she? No, I I, I remember when I was, um, when I was working, one of the first jobs I worked right out of college, um, I was working at Nordstrom and I remember one day, like I was headed to the food court and you, you've been in South Point Mall before, Kenny, like you already know. And Ron, you may have been there when you were in school there. Um, if you go to South Point, they have like this, uh, this like courtyard where there's like restaurants and stuff. You, you walk outside the mall. So I'm walking, I'm like really hungry. And this guy is stopping me. He was like, hey, did you know God is a woman? Now I'm already hungry. And anybody knows me personally, when I'm hungry, I'm angry. <laughs> and so I was like, bro, I'm like, what? Like, he was like, you know, God, I have research to prove that God is a woman. And that was the first time in my life I think I had ever really heard someone say that. Because, you know, I'm sure like somebody may have said it in past, but I've never heard someone so passionate about it. And so that's why it made me think. I was like, why? where would you get this from? There's no Bible to back that up. But apparently there's actual people that actually commit themselves to studying that God may be a woman. And, you know, I disagree with that, but I'm just would love to find out like, where people have gotten their rationale from. Yeah. Um, I heard that the God and mother people are like sex traffickers. 
Yeah, I heard that later on. I didn't know that. God protected you. Yes. Look, God and 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 teaching of sound doctrine. Somebody had told me. Right. <laughs> you know, so uh, look, ch- children, saints of the Most High God, that doctrinal teaching comes in handy more ways than one. Yeah, protected. <laughs> yes, but Lord. yeah, no, like God is a spirit. I know people are trying to move into gender neutral terms and trying to turn history into her story and all that stuff. But I mean, at the end of the day, let's, let's be very specific. I, it's the T <laughs> like, let's just be honest. That's what the book says, you know, it mentions got pretty often. So I don't know. Um, all right. So I'm going to be doing church announcements this week. Because <laughs> Mike is going to be over our subject. So my first announcement is that there was a June team celebration happening in Arkansas <laughs> this week that created a lot of controversy um, when the flyer came out. And actually, it was canceled just four hours ago. And so the reason why this June team celebration was canceled is because the entire panel that was supposed to be discussing at this celebration were white people. So <laughs> um, I just wanted to know if you guys had seen the flyer, if you guys had any thoughts on that. Um, should the June team celebration have been canceled? I didn't see the flyer, but I did read up a little bit on this and I was like, okay, so thinking about what Juneteenth represents, I don't know. And 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 I know there are plenty of black people in Arkansas. Mm-hmm. So should have been one at least. And I think I read somewhere that it was like, oh, they were saying it was a test flyer or whatever. But still, like, right. where's your representation? That's what the holiday that day is supposed to represent is, you know, a, a, a day of liberation for Black Americans. And I don't know how you get, you know, a, a successful event without Black Americans, you know, being a part of the planning at least. So. I don't know about that. Yeah. Mike, any thoughts? Yeah. So um, I could definitely smell the raisins in the potato salad. Oh, my gosh. Um, (laughs) I could definitely see, you know, the cranberries in the uh, pasta salad, which might not be bad, by the way. Anyway. um, Mm. mm, No. Um, (laughs) Don't mess with the pasta salad. Uh, You know, um. Here's the thing, you know, I I don't even know if I want to say that I appreciate the gesture because I think like you like Kenny just said, there's enough black people in Arkansas that they could have easily pulled. Because how are you as a older Caucasian? I don't care if you are Democratic, gonna tell me about my history and my roots and tell me about, you know. And, and talk about those things, be able to talk about those things without bias. You know, you have a panel of, of people, which you could tell, I don't know if there's some kind of agenda behind it and anything like that. But if you really want to find something to do, if you really want to be behind a cause, push critical race theory in these schools, you know, that you guys are so, that, you know, the, the other side is so up against, which, you know, at this point, nobody is really talking about really teaching critical race theory in schools. But when they do, why don't you get behind that so you can talk about that and hold you all accountable? Um, but other than that, no, it's a no for me. Um, let's go back to the drawing board. Let's go dig out some black folks in our communities and uh, see if we can get a Juneteenth set celebration down there in Arkansas. 
So yeah, no. Yeah, I think there are certain holidays um, or certain things that we do in our society that is just a time for people to sit back and be educated and let the people of that community speak and enjoy themselves and have a great time, especially since Juneteenth just became a holiday, like what, like a year ago. Mm-hmm. So um, I also just don't believe that whole story about, oh, this was just a tester flyer. Like you guys had Boy Scouts of America being benefited, like organizations that had nothing to do with black people or blackness. Like there could have been a lot of and not to say Boy Scouts it has nothing to do with black people, but it's a predominantly white organization. Let's be honest. So it's just I have. Yeah, you just try to save face after it created a lot of controversy. And like you guys were both saying, like, let's get some black speakers in there. Um, let's promote the culture that should be celebrated. So along the, the same lines of anti-blackness, Chandler Moore uh, has created some controversy this week. Um, So I'm just going to read a little bit of what blog writer states. Maverick City Music Chandler Moore is denying and downplaying his culture for a mainly white audience, which doesn't characterize restraint. It characterizes oppression. So Chandler Moore is catching a lot of deserved pushback for the below post in which he mainly said that he has to act a certain way to be in the white space that he's in. So I'm just going to read Chandler's post. It says the restraint that is a part of the creative process is something a lot of people don't understand. The bigger the audience, the greater the restraint. People think I'm not black or Pentecostal or gospel, all in quotations, because of the restraints I have in the music I release. People just truly don't understand. LOL. On any day, you'll catch me singing quartet or walking around my house whooping. Like I'm preaching in a 50 seat storefront church. I've never seen a 50 seat storefront church. Sorry. I, I have. I saw a 48 seat one. Before. Oh, okay. So <laughs> <laughs> How did you know? <laughs> if you had time to count, Mike, then that wasn't a great service. I'm sorry. Anyway, sorry. But you're, you're not going to hear a lot of that unless you really study our music. Wink, wink. Because of the restraint I have to have for the audience I'm assigned to. The, this applies in a circle, blah, blah, blah. I'm sorry. A lot of us have fumbled opportunities because we tried to give them everything we knew instead of everything they understood. Again, the more broad your audience becomes, the more restraint is needed. So do you guys have any opinions on this? Should we be restraining? Uh, the amount of. Number one, this that whole post that he put up was anti-black. I'm sorry, because let me tell you one thing. And, and this is coming from someone who is operating not only just as a saint, but also as a music director. I have spoken and, and led um, uh, demographic groups and ministries in these white, predominantly white spaces. Let me tell you one thing they're not going to do for you, okay? For us Black folks, they are not going to shift how they worship. They're not going to shift how they sing. They're not going to practice any type of restraint on what it is that they do to accommodate us. And so why do we need to do that and to strip ourselves of our cultural, you know, persuasions in order to satisfy them? Now I'm I, I'm not against like one okay. There's two facets to this. Like I can see if you're going if 
if the Lord opened up an opportunity for me to sing and minister to a predominantly Catholic audience, right? Mm-hmm. I ain't gonna go in there like, y'all better put y'all, you know, but as the spirit gives me, you know, life and begins to breathe life, it gives me liberty. I'm not going to deter from who I am and especially who I am in God to please them because you don't know the reason why they have you up there. And the reason why God opened that door was for you with your uniqueness to minister to them with what you have. And the fact that he's saying that in order for me to have this broad audience, what he's really saying is in order for me to get these paychecks, I have to dumb down my blackness. Right. I can't be up here. This is what I want to do. He's telling us what he wants to do, like in the house. Like I want to, I want to be uh, hooping and whatever. I want to be acting Pentecostal, but I can't because of my audience. That that doesn't make any sense, you know. And like I said, that 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 it's it's problematic that people gain these platforms and they say just some anti-black stuff. And it was like I'm gonna just be honest with you. That whole uh, aside or that whole pointing the finger to a storefront. You know, because that's what we associate that type of behavior with. I'm going to tell you right now, Pentecostals are not just in storefronts in 2022. Amen. We have big churches and we have big cathedrals and we still shouting and praising God and giving God the glory. So I just, I, a lot of that was just like, mm-mm. that was a lot of pandering to me. I'm sorry. Yeah. Bless your heart, Shane Lamore. Um, just when I was starting to like, you know, Shane Lamore and, what is the name of that group? Wait, wait, Maverick City. Maverick, 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 um, Maverick, 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 Maverick City. Not Magic City. No. Maverick City. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Get your Deronda, do you have some oil that you can? <laughs> we need some oil. <laughs> oh, is it Maverick City? Okay. Okay. Right when I was just starting to like them, because you know, I did find their music quite depressing. Um, you know, every time I listen to a song of theirs, I just oh want to put myself in a room. And cry myself to sleep. He's been telling me this for months. So I believe. Yes. Um, so <laughs> anyway, you know, this whole post. And, and I saw Chandler Moore's name come up. Uh, I can't remember where it was, but I didn't pay any attention to it. But this post that he that he had up reeks of black respectability politics. It reeks of, you know, like I'm I, you know, if you want to get somewhere in life, sometimes you have to go ahead. You have to do what you have to do. And, you know, how many times have we heard that? But to hear that in a space where black people are listening to your music, white folks are listening to your music, Hispanic, all kinds of cultures of young people are listening to the music. And this is what you say. And I mean, we're as as millennials and, and things of that nature, we're already having to deal with a whole lot you know, in workspaces where we have to work in workspaces mm-hmm. where we do have to dumb ourselves down a whole lot. Like I work in a workspace like that now where, you know, you do got to dumb yourself down. You get to a certain level and, you know, you got to kind of ease up on what you say and things like that. But to be for that to come from someone on a platform like yours, when you have the authority to really have that voice to say, you know what, like we're, you know, even though you're dealing with these things and stuff like that, I want to come and speak life to you and, you know, be able to help lift this burden that you're feeling at work, but you double down on what you said. And I don't know if it's because you have, you know, the white wife, I'm going to go ahead and put that out there. I don't know if it's because you have the white in-laws or anything like that, but bro, like you literally, 
you literally could have set this one now. You could have shut up and continued to tour around the United States and, and secure your bag and not said anything at all. And like Kenny said, you sort of been, you chose to, you know, someone's on, oh, because I feel like I'm in a, a 50 seat storefront church. Let me tell you something right now. I grew up Pentecostal, grew up apostolic to the bone. And I can tell you now, we won't sit up in no storefront church. And my thing is that that's, that's, but that's probably what you associate black church, your black church experience with. But you associate your other experiences with these low, these low light settings, these settings where the, the lights are dim, these settings where, you know, people sit, you know, be in Indian style, the whole, the whole worship service, you know, <laughs> crying over your music because they feel guilty. You know, that's just what it is. You know, they're crying over your music. And, 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 and so it's, this is not to shade Shanla more, but I do want you to go back and I want you to think about what you said. I want you to go back. And really just reevaluate what you said, who your audience was, and read the room next time before you say something like that. Because you literally could have said anything. We would have never known you felt like that. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so actually, yesterday, he made a follow-up post, which is kind of like, sometimes we just need people to just stay off the internet. But whatever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Mark Zuckerberg owns that. He has control over that. But anyway, um, he says, uh, that post really stirred y'all. Seems like it brought out the bigger conversation of people thinking I'm leaving my blackness behind because my gospel music reaches more than black people or doesn't have as much groove as previous gospel music. Maybe let's talk about it then. And then, so he does mention um, that people feel some type of way, even like you mentioned, Mike, or maybe it's cause he's, I'm married to a white woman. He says that too. And then um, he goes into saying, why are people so mad that my black doesn't look the way their black does or doesn't sound the way they want it or think it should? So this is going into my comments. Um, nobody asked for this. Nobody. We didn't ask you <laughs> to post anything about anything. Yes. And, you know, there are artists who are doing a really good job of putting together CCM and gospel music. I want to commend Cece Winans, who just won a, her own Grammy and her own right through her son. Her son making her music has significantly changed her sound. And it's this really great crossover sound that's authentically her. And I personally thought Chandler Moore's sound was authentically him until you told me it wasn't. And you're showing restraint. And it's kind of like, you know we want you to be yourself in your music. That's all we want. <laughs> so whether we're calling you anti-Black or not, that's not the point is we want you to be authentic. And you told us <laughs> un unsolicited, hey, like one day you'll catch me hooping and singing quartet. Okay, so then why don't you add that, incorporate that type of culture that you have more into your music? You know, I love Maverick City. It doesn't sound like suicidal music to me. I enjoy my life. <laughs> I enjoy my time listening to it. You know, sometimes you do need to sit in a dark room. Even God went to the desert to escape the people. So, <laughs> so I'm just going to come out all of that. That makes sense. <laughs> but like, <laughs> but, you know, and his, his voice is so gritty. It's so different and unique. Um, and I just love what Maverick City is doing. But if you feel like you have to restrain in your process, then I like, you know, that's something to reconsider. And like, we're not out here trying to target your blackness, bro. We know that blackness has a variety and it's very expansive. We get that. We know that Th these are fundamentals. But when you put yourself out there and represent yourself to be one way and say that you're showing restraint, 
what does that mean for us? <laughs> Particularly when your audience is like, you do have a lot of black listeners and then I show up to your concerts and it's white people. And it's a great experience for me. Like I had never went until I went to a Maverick city concert experienced worship in that way, but it was just all, I, there was Hispanics in front of me and there was white people and like everybody was just enjoying themselves. And at times he would pull out an old black hymn and they wouldn't know what we were singing, but we would have a great time and they would be in worship. Or sometimes he would sing a song that I had no idea I'd never heard before. And I'd be in worship and it was just a beautiful thing, but you know, when you put things in terms like this, this is what makes it annoying. And it's kind of like, all right. And I was getting ready to buy a concert ticket. I really was. I was getting ready to buy a concert ticket. It was in the car. You're you're on tour right now and you're messing up your own bag. I was ready to buy buy a ticket to help you. I wasn't going to go to the concert, but I was going to buy a ticket to help support another brother. (laughs) Stop. You know, like, I'm just going to donate the ticket to a young person at the church. You know, I'm like another brother up here, you know, making his bag. Let me support. Let me buy a ticket. No. No, I'm going to take that that ticket. I'm trying to figure out you have... You have... Not Ruth Chris. You, um, You have Phil Thompson... Um, tried and true, you have Israel Hooten, Houghton, I would say. Yeah. All of those years, they have been, you know, no one has ever came for Israel or no one's ever came for Phil Thompson. It's it's so many other artists. No one's come for them and said, you're not your color, you're not your culture because, you know, you're making this sound of music. And in fact, they're the ones, especially Israel, who kind of introduced the CCM sound to the Black church because now... You know, you go into a black church on a Sunday morning. Now you can definitely hear friend of God or, right. you know, some of those rejoice in the Lord. And so as, instead of him trying to cross over and trying to use his anointing or what we found out, what might not be an anointing might be a, a facade, but him using what he has to usher that into other realms. He basically said, no, nah, I got to I got to I got to I got to keep it 100 for my white people and like. I got to make sure I only pander to them. That doesn't make sense. And nobody, and like you said, that could have stayed in his drafts. That that just never, he could have typed that out and looked at it and said, hmm, that's how I feel. And then moved on without ever posting it on the internet. We didn't need to know that. But do these people have like a publicist or PR or do they have somebody that's like has, because it's the same question I asked for Felicia Rashad last year when she tweeted what she tweeted last year. Like, do you not have someone that manages that for you? You know what I mean? Or to say like, hey, maybe let's not go here. I know you feel that way, but this might be perceived as this. I don't know. Yeah. Once you reach a certain status, it's time to just run stuff past people before you post. I mean, I, I shouldn't even say have a certain status, just regular people. Because honestly, y'all Facebooks be too wild. Y'all Twitters be too wild. I'm hoping Elon Musk just get y'all together now that he owns it. But um, sorry, our last church announcement. Um, I don't have a word for this for, for Mike. I'm sorry. <laughs> but- <laughs> But I think this is, could be a whole discussion and a whole different topic. But um, on this past Sunday, Bishop Charles E. Blake um, turned West Angeles Church, um, the church that he's over, the leadership over to his son. As a senior pastor of West Angeles Church, I have led and served this great church daily for more than 53 years. However, most recently, I'm acutely aware that my Parkinson's diagnosis is impacting my physical stature and vocal strength. 
With this in mind, I want to share a few thoughts with you, my West Angeles family and community. Many individuals with Parkinson's continue to live long, satisfying lives. I will continue to serve my congregation. Um, just as I have before my announcement, I will continue to preach the gospel rotating as I have with my sons, co-pastor Charles E. Blake II and young adult pastor Lawrence C. Blake and the clergy of West Angeles Church. Um, and so I wanted to know if you guys had any thoughts on this. Um, my initial thoughts are always the fact that um, what I what we see in churches nowadays are church dynasties in my mind, where a pastor will pass down the church to their um, family members, particularly their sons. Um, and so I just wanted to know if you guys had any thoughts on the situation. Of course, this is a horrible situation since he has Parkinson's disease, but. Um, yeah. So like you said, the church dynasties, that's been happening for so long. And there's, I guess there's two sides to it. I, I was always against it because like a lot of times, um, intensely family run churches have a tendency to have a, a kind of a toxic environment because it's like, if you're not a part of this nuclear family, this bloodline, you can't infiltrate any type of leadership, meaningful leadership in these churches. But what I found out um, talking to a pastor of a church like that years ago is he said that the reason why he thinks a lot of people do that is because they feel like they can trust these people because they are family mm -hmm. and they're having a hard time you know, trusting, I guess, the regular uh, laity, which I mean, I think that makes a broader discussion of how many pastors out there really don't trust the people that they pastor, right. including their own leaders, you know, as long as they're not in their family. Um, but the main point is you need to make sure that God is in the decision-making process of, 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 you know, of a secession plan. Because I've seen it where he isn't. And where decisions were made because people are there or just because that's my son and, you know, it'll tear up a church or it will dismantle a ministry. I know churches that have closed their doors maybe five or six years after their leader died because the secession plan was left to a son and the pastor didn't know that the son had ulterior motives and mm -hmm. it, it wasn't manifest until after that pastor died. And so I just think God has to be at the center. If God told you to put your son, cool. If God tells you not to put your son and you put him anyway, then you, you're in trouble and your church is in trouble and you're leaving your church in fraudulent hands. And I don't think that's good. That's my two cents. I'm torn on this because um, I, I, I can see where, I, I think I applaud the fact that while he is yet recognizing he has health issues, that he's going ahead and passing the baton. Because how many times do we see where people await, you know, they, they're on their deathbed or they, they pass on and the church is not left in the hands or you got people that you got to either rotate out or, you know, there's drama on the, in the leadership team because the leadership feels like, you know, Hey, you know, I, you know, I feel like I should have the church cause I started out with him, you know, 50 years ago, but no, I feel like I should have it cause I'm his son or well, I preach the best. So it, it was good that he already had a contingency plan in place and didn't wait until things got really bad to go ahead and make the decision. With that being said, 
Um, I do think a lot of times we see, especially in the Pentecostal church, let's just be honest. And, and in our um, Pentecostal and apostolic churches, we see that a lot where, you know, we pass things down to our family, whatever. But a lot of times, sometimes family just ain't qualified. I think we do this sometimes because we want to keep family around. Like if I give my church to my son, he'll stay in church. If I give the young adult, you know, church to my, to my, to my son, they'll stay in church. If I give the missionary department to my daughter, she'll feel compelled to stay in church because I just want my children to stay in church even after I'm gone. And that's not a, that's not to me a valid reason for that because your, their salvation and their reason for being in church should be predicated on their debt, on their dedication and their relationship to God. But we see this so much. And I think for me, like if you got leaders in your church that you don't trust, you're pastoring people that you don't trust, that leads to a bigger conversation you need to have. Because why are you leading people that you don't trust? Like, what is that? What is the reason behind that? And to me, you know, if you are a good leader, you should be leading people that should be able to, whoever it is, pick up the baton and be able to keep things running the way it should be. It should be ran. That's just point blank, period. What, what leaders are you equipped? Are you equipping other than your children to be able to take on, you know, ministry and things of that nature or be able to, you know, carry things out? If something happens, suddenly they can just pop right in. But unfortunately, and I've seen this more than one time before. I've seen churches, they'll have 12, 15 ministers on the roster. Something happens to the leader. There's nobody up there in place to be able to, that has an inkling or an idea of what to do, where to carry the ministry, you know, how to pick up the pieces or anything like that. And I think that's, that's sad. And that's a sad reality that we're living in, but that's just what it is. And that's such a scary thing because why would we allow someone that we don't think is qualified to be on the pulpit to speak to the people? Like, if you don't think they're qualified to preach or to take over the church, then why are they up there? Are we just elevating people just because? And so there's so many ways that this this is a whole different discussion and we don't got all the time in the world. But yeah, um, again, like, um, it's a horrible thing. Parkinson's is a very terrible disease, but I am glad that during his life, he is passing the baton um, and kind of keeping a watch because like you guys both mentioned, when pastors leave, people start showing out and acting up just like any, like when somebody with the will, as soon as someone dies, everybody starts acting out of character. So, yeah. So that was your church announcements. Um, pass the show on the mic. Sing your hand, sir. Praise the Lord, everybody. Praise him. With me to the book of Saint. Go with me to the book of St. Mark, the oh. second chapter. Just want to read one verse in your hearing. Amen. I'm joking. Um, <laughs> read you have prepared my heart, my mind. I am joking. So, um, you know, first and foremost, um, thank you to Ron for allowing me to help produce this episode tonight. Um, I wanted to do something. I've heard other podcasts do it. Um, but we, I wanted to, I wanted to kind of continue a conversation from our church controversies that we do at the beginning of the show. Um, but we want to take a deeper dive into church controversies that are a little bit more specific, um, that are not as generalized. I do want to give a little bit of a trigger warning. Some of these discussions are a little bit deep. So if you are a little bit spiritually squeamish, I suggest that you kind of fast forward because this is not a Bible study. This is the strictly the opinions of the guests of our show. So it doesn't reflect our biblical teaching, doesn't reflect 
what we, you know, what we're being taught at our churches. This is, I truly just want to hear the heart of our host on this show on a lot of these issues. So, you know me, I'm going to start very easy. I'm going to start you off easy, start you off with something general, but we will get progressively intense as the show go on. We want to have fun, but we also just want to get some different perspectives as well. So we don't want anybody writing the show being like, oh, y'all, you know, said something crazy. Like, no, we already told you, gave you this disclaimer. This is not a Bible study. This is just strictly just the heart of our host and like where we kind of stand with everything. So um, the first thing I delved into the Instagram streets. Um, so we got Instagram, we have Facebook and then Reddit. Okay. Y'all ready? The first question is how long is too long to wait to get married? And this is if you are dating someone, not if you're already single, um, but if you're oh, dating God. someone, if you're dating someone, how long is too long to wait to get married? Like if you're in a relationship, is there a time span? What are y'all, th- what are your thoughts? I'm going to default to the, to Ron. You want me to start? <laughs> I want you to start. <laughs> um, in my opinion, if it's over a year, I'm kind of looking because from my experience, I felt like within three months, I could tell if somebody is worth anything. <laughs> and then like you get a couple more months to make sure that everything's lining up. And then after that, like if we start going into years and years of being together, it don't make sense. It's time to break up. Like, cause why are we doing this? So that's, that's what I'm going to say. I'm going to say within a year. Um, I think it depends. Like we, we have, <laughs> This is a perfect time for this question because we have two prominent preachers who <laughs> are getting married to their very, very, very long time girlfriends. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> long, 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 long suffering. Uh, <laughs> Lux. <laughs> but uh, I, I think it depends. Um, I think that um, if you know, number one, I think. It depends on you need to know that you're in the market and you're ready for the next step. I don't think you should be just out here dating just because you're bored, Mm -hmm. because people's hearts and people's, you know, minds are in, you know, hanging the balance with some of this stuff. You can really devastate someone and really alter the trajectory of their life playing with people's hearts. So I'm not an advocate for that. Um, But as long as you and that person, that, you know, you're dating or you're talking, you know, getting to know, um, as long as you and that person are on one accord, I think it can happen relatively quickly. I think you need to make sure that you're talking through things though. And if certain things haven't come up, make sure they come up, make sure you've seen that person upset, make sure Mm -hmm. you've seen what happens. You know, I'm not telling you test the person, but allow situations to organically come up because you start testing folks, folks gonna find out and they're gonna get upset. So don't test nobody, <laughs> but allow situations to organically come up where you see what happens when, you know, maybe you left your wallet at home or you see, and this is a pure accident and see how someone, you know, reacts to that or see how, you know, that person acts when, you know, there's just a, a very stressful situation you're both in. You need to know what all of that, you know, all that stuff is before you go in, because what happens is a lot of time during dating, people showing you, 
you know, what they want you to see, but what you don't know is a whole different person behind all that. And it's not until they're comfortable that that starts coming out. So I think it needs to be that. I think that's a good answer. It needs to be to the point where it doesn't need to be a long time, but it needs to be to a point where you guys are comfortable enough with each other to be authentically yourself. And I think that varies for each couple. Some couples are going to show that within the first month. And then some people take a while. They have a lot more layers like an onion and you got to keep peeling, peeling, peeling. And eventually you get to the, them to a place where they're ready to be open. So I think it varies. Um, but yeah, that's my answer. That's a really good point. You need to ask hard questions. You do need, you need to talk about money. You need to talk about what people are like when they're angry. You need to talk about deal breakers. You need to talk about, you know, do you like it hot or cold? People don't think about those little things that when you're living together, um, it's kind of like, mm, I can't tolerate that. Um, you got to talk about family, how you feel like raising your kids and how you're going to deal with your parents getting older. Like those are all hard questions that you need to really have a discussion about. Um, I know like talking to a lot of people who are married now, like they've told me like even about like what happens in the bedroom, like the expectations. And that's probably later on. Don't start off those conversations, <laughs> but you know, like there is. I wouldn't say like a checklist, but there is certain things that you want to go through. And like Kenny was saying, like trying to get to see people within multiple seasons of themselves in a certain amount of time. Because my thing is just my question is, if we if we tarry too long, what are we doing? Like, because I just don't want the saints to feel like they got to play around with their flesh and stuff. You know, if you or even just hold something that's too toxic, like. Why be in a relationship that's not going nowhere? Why try to revive a dead situation? You know, we're not Jesus with Lazarus. Just let it go. So no, I think both of you all made great points. And I think my sentiments reflect what you both have said. Um, what we don't want is a Noel Jones and a Loretta situation going oh, on. Oh, so he just he just put it out there. So because we talked about it on the show before. Oh, okay, okay, okay. okay. <laughs> or Marvin. <laughs> or Marvin or, Marvin. or Jamal Brown. You know, we don't want any of these things going on. And I mean, here's my thing. If both of you all are, are dating and you all are both in the same wavelength, like we're not trying to get married. Because I work with people all the time, you know, where they're just like, I'm not trying to get married. My 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 partner is not trying to get married either. Or, you know, my girlfriend, boyfriend is not trying to get married either. So, you know, they're just like, you know, so those things, I'm like, y'all on the same wavelength and that's what y'all like, then fine. For me, um, when we're talking about like how long is too long to to wait, I think, you know, nobody there's no time period on, you know, when you're supposed to get married. Right. But I think if we're in a relationship and year by year is going by, you know, one year has gone by. There's been no discussion of it. Uh, you know, year and a half has gone by. We're still kind of coasting along. I think, you know, what were the what were the expect the expectations that were set from the jump? Like, you know, Ron was kind of saying and, and Kenny was too. What expectations were set from the jump? Like, okay, where do we where do we see ourselves? And those are early conversations you have to have because you know, I've seen situations where people will be in these relationships and there's no expectation, there's no roadmap for where they're going. They're just out there. And a lot of people love to use the the term, oh, we're just going with the flow. But where are you? What, what flow are you going with? There's no direction. There's no like plan to, you know, move things along. Um, not that you want to rush off to get married because that's a mistake, too. But 
a lot of times, you know, you, before you know it, five or six years has passed by and you all are still going in these same circles. Um, you all now, but now instead of going in these same circles, you're doing husband and wife duties, but don't have those official titles. So, you know, I think for me, it's, it's, it's all dependent upon where your mindset is and things like that. But I think you got to be mindful of what, what that timeline and how long that timeline is going um, when you're talking about how long should you wait. So. Second thing while we in the Instagram streets was there was a clip that went viral this week of a pastor standing at the pulpit rebuking the musicians for drinking juice in the sanctuary. Um, and then he also made a point of telling them that um, they were they didn't arrive to church 15 minutes before and they did that again. They didn't have to worry about playing. What was just you guys both saw that clip, right? I, I hadn't, but I, I hear enough. <laughs> okay. So what were your initial thoughts on that? Um, okay. That you you picking some good ones that like have a dichotomy, uh, kind of split my mind. But on one hand, um I think that we have created a culture of music within the church wherein the musicians are no longer accountable to leadership. And that presents so many problems because you think about years ago, it was, you know, a model where the musicians were members of the church. They were Taipan members. They went to Bible study, you know, they had the GGG with us on the altar. You know, that, that's how it was years ago. Now churches have resorted to, you know, which I'm not, not I'm not, you know, judging, but I'm saying churches, you know, don't have musicians in house. And so they're hiring people. And that's what's creating a lot of these, you know, uh, issues is because these people aren't submitted to you. And so, you, yeah, you may have told them something and you may have told them again, but because their submission is not to you, but to that paycheck, then they're not going to necessarily comply with what you have to say. And so I think we got to address that first. The second part to address, I'm old school, so I'm not like. I'm 1000% against chastisement from the pulpit, as long as it's like in love and it's 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 not a distraction to the house. So I'm telling them to stop drinking juice. That that doesn't really bother me. But what bothered me in the video is when he continued to go on. And at that point, now you're out of the spirit and you're in flesh. Telling somebody to stop drinking juice in the sanctuary, not a big deal to me. You telling them, you know, going into their history of being late and all that stuff. That's a private meeting and that won't none of our business because probably I'm sitting out there and I was late too. So now I'm like, well, let me, let me get, you know, what's going on here. You know what I'm saying? So I just, I think some things we have to, you know, and I heard a pastor say it like this, you have to conduct your services like the world is watching because the stained glass effect of, of yesteryear is gone. Many of our churches are live streaming and so it's not just the people that know your spirit, not just the people of your house. You know, a lot of the chastisements we got growing up, we knew our pastors, you know. So we knew that, yeah, he chastised us at, in that moment, but then he's going to come and hug you and be like, you know, I love you. I just, I want you to do right. And we don't see that side of that, you know, on the internet. We don't get all of that. We don't know what this pastor's heart was in this situation. And so you have to move carefully and, and move a lot differently than you used to. So that whole the the rant about the lateness, yeah, that just that didn't he didn't even say that over the pulpit. He could have just been like, could y'all please refrain from drinking in the sanctuary? And he could have 
employed a nicer tone. Again, because it's not just your worship or your service that's viewing this. It's not just your constituents, your, your members, but it's people out there. And this really affected how they receive you and how they receive in turn Christ. So you gotta be careful with that stuff. So was this a live stream or did someone pull out their phone? Do you guys know? The way it was recorded, you could tell that someone chopped it from a live stream. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Um, yeah. So I guess my first thing is on the drinking thing. As a former usher, you do not eat or drink in the church. I'm sick of it. <laughs> Cause y'all don't clean up after yourselves. Stuff be sticky. It don't make sense. And somebody gotta clean it up. So I will say that. Like I and I get it, like especially like I could see like a drummer or something, you're sweating the whole time. You know, we don't really do that old school sound no more where you like, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. But you know, you know, they get tired and you want to take a drink, you know, take a break and go out during offering. Well, I guess you can't because they planned on offering, but you know, find a way to get away and take that drink. So I'm not really against that part. The first point that Kenny raised is that. We do have musicians who I would consider to be contractors now, and they're employees of the church. And I think, I don't think the pastor was out of line saying, you know, if you don't follow, come 15 minutes early, then you won't be playing no more. I mean, if they were members, you know, that's a little different. But if I'm paying you to come play for me, then you got to abide by what I said is the standard of your employment. So <laughs> them him putting his foot down is kind of like, all right. Um, but I, I am kind of hesitant when, it, when I start hearing about public rebuke. Um, like you mentioned, you know, back in the day, it was it was just embarrassing. And now it's even more embarrassing because the whole world going to see it, especially if you know that your church is going to be on live. Everybody's going to have access. And it's not just that short time frame where you're rebuking somebody. It's going to be played forever and ever. And like, you know, everybody who knows you is going to know about it. It's, it sounded like the pastor just needed to control his like anger in that moment. Like I said, I haven't seen the video, but um, for him to just go on and on to kind of berate people is not what we should be doing. That's not coming out of love. That's not using the pulpit the way it should be used. So yeah, I think that's my general thoughts is like, I'm just leaning away from open rebuke, particularly now in the age of social media where people are quick to whip out their phones. It's just better to take people in the back hold it for later, either rebuke the whole church publicly (laughs) or just like, don't say nothing to nobody until after service and everything is shut down because, you know, um, it gets a lot. I think for me, I saw the video. I'm old school. Um, I usher and one of my pet peeves is I do despise to see someone drinking or eating inside the sanctuary because you know we're the ones got to clean that up after service and you know like yeah you know i even hate to see people give kids snacks in church i just do um you know and i understand for musicians and stuff they had to do that maybe they could have stepped out you know to take a drink or something like that here's where things got fuzzy for me is the fact that you got you decided that that was the time to get something off your chest right there in the middle of service Mm -hmm. and i think as leaders and as pastors you have to be the one to take the high road, you know, and say, you know what, let me say this, let me call a meeting or like Ron said, let's, you know, let me address this as a whole. Let me address the issue. Let me not necessarily the individual, let me address the issue just so everybody's on the same page with how we're going to go do things going forward. And even then you have to be careful because you can throw off, 
you know, the way that the spirit may be flowing within that house. So maybe you should have had a meeting to say, my expectation is you guys be here 15 minutes beforehand. And, you know, here's my thing. And we do this in the workplace where I work at, you know, before I issue you a final, before I, you know, if I'm coaching, let me establish intent. Why, you know, well, so why are you late? You know, why, why are you late getting here? You have another gig that you're playing at before you get here, which is causing you to be, you know, a little bit later. You know, or is there something going on? Is there something I can support you with? you know, with, with, with helping you be on time here, you know, let me, let me see what I can do first before we make this an even bigger issue. And I think that should have been a conversation outside that people shouldn't have heard it. Cause like you guys said, everything is live streamed now. Everything is live stream. Everything is being recorded. And I think that, you know, a lot of times you just have to be able to say, you know what, I saw that, but I'm going to address this after service. Or I'm going to, you know, call a meeting just to make sure we're on the, uh, on the same page, that we are aligning on the same page, making sure that we all know what the standard is, what the expectation is going forward. And so I think that was a better way that that could have been communicated. Um, I don't know because it was just the clip that we saw, but I think the whole I can tell you he was wrong in the fact of bringing up the fact that they were late, you know, 15 minutes and stuff like that. I've sat in ministries like that before, you know, where they, you know, people get stuff off their chest and, and address individuals or teach on people. I've been slapped by a pastor before um, working the altar on my. Yes. On my what? arms. Yeah, I have um, on something I wasn't trained to do. I'm, I wasn't trained on, you know, necessarily working the altar and this lady fell out and the pastor slapped me on my arm. You need to help. You know, and I'm like, well, you, you, you haven't had a train. I didn't even know this is what you all were doing or that you were, you know, so I've had that happen. Thankfully, we weren't recording. Thankfully, I didn't, you know, relay that information to my dad because he would have marched down there, you know, and, you know, handled things. But and also a lady is, fell out. Why wasn't another woman helping her? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. She was a bigger lady. But that's what and I've the way I was raised. A man does not touch a woman mm-hmm. when you were talking about like working the altar. I don't care how big she is, whatever, like it's just not you know proper protocol but because there was no no necessary training i didn't think that that was the proper way to be addressed but you know i sucked it up you know i'm not gonna disrespect the man of god we ain't going blow for blow like you know i just had to let that one slide you know but i knew that next time that happens like you know trust and believe you know maybe we need to have a meeting about how we need to keep our hands to ourselves so there's that anyway the next thing and i had to when i read this I had to kind of, I'm adding this um, verbatim because I think if I read the status as is, people that listen to the show would know who wrote the status. So basically in a nutshell, if a, if a teenage, if my teenage daughter refused to stop having sex as a parent, is it okay for me to take her and get on birth control? And this is from the perspective of the church. This is from the perspective of the church. What are your thoughts around that? <laughs> I see you looking at me. All right, I'll stay. <laughs> um, this this might be controversial, but it's not controversial to me. It's it's an easy, it's an easy answer. Like if your child, your child needs to be safe. If you know they're doing an action and they're doing it in a way that's not safe, then why wouldn't you protect your child? Like, I, I don't care where you stand on any of that. You know, you want to be preventative. And, and people go on birth control for a lot of reasons. Let's first establish that. 
that being on birth control is not a sin because sometimes it's to regulate, it's to do a lot of other things for the body. I'm sorry, but if my child is not saved and they're having sex, yes, I'm going to say use a condom, use like use whatever you can to protect yourself because there's a lot of stuff going on out there. Now, if we start talking about abortions later on, then that's something different. But if we're stopping contra- um, contraception from the beginning, then we don't have to have the discussion because what you're going to, you're going to be a grandfather at however old you're okay with your child having a child, having a baby at the end of the day, I think this goes to a bigger discussion of parents understanding, like your child is in sin. They're going to do what sinners do. So if that's the case, you can't hold them to a biblical standard. And I think that's something that's happened to us a lot is that growing up because we grew up in church, a lot of times we're put under, we need to act a certain way because we're in the church, but I'm not a part of the church. I'm just in the church and that's different. And you have to adjust to that. You know, they're not going to do what you want them to do. So that's my thoughts. Now, just to confirm with you, uh, apostle, this was a man that wrote this status. This was a man that wrote this and you know who it was that wrote it. (laughs) Wait a minute. Why he put me on blast like that? <laughs> he didn't have to put me on blast like that. He, he, didn't, he didn't have to do that. All right. You see that we just talked about these apostles and preachers calling folks out on streams and stuff and public rebuke. Oh, just talked about this. All right. No. Um, no, I was asking to like establish a point. A lot of times we mistake biblical authority and the trickle down of biblical authority. And we try to associate that with all facets of life. And it just isn't so. Um, I can have an opinion on how to parent my daughter, but I cannot uh, give her the advice that she needs like a woman can. A woman knows a woman's body. A woman knows what a woman goes through. And so the fact that so many men in the church and over the years have put all of these unrealistic expectations on women, like, because that's where this is coming from. You're a, a young man. You don't have a child. As my mother would say, child the first, you're not married, but you are so concerned with what um, a person is doing with their child, especially a young lady. That, that, that ain't your concern. Your concern should be Jesus and Jesus only at this point, <laughs> you know, and, and 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 doing whatever you need to do to survive in this crazy world. Why are you concerned with what is going on with somebody else's child? OK, that's number one. Number two, like Ron said, and I mean, that's a good point. There, Number one, there are a lot of reasons why women take birth control, but also why wouldn't you want to protect your child? Why wouldn't you want to preserve them? Why wouldn't you want to help them? You know, if they're going to pr- practice these risky behaviors, you got to step up and do something to make sure that they're protected. And if you're not, then you're not being a good steward over your child. Like you said, what's going to happen? So you're going to put your foot down. No, nobody in my house is using birth control or contraceptive methods. And there's a hole in this house. Okay. Then what happens when the child comes? I ain't taking care of this child. Okay. So what recourse? The, 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 the woman's carrying the child now, and now you're wondering why she done snuck off to the abortion clinic. You've put her in a situation 
wherein you could have helped and you could have been that that voice of reason and saying, I would rather you not do this. I th- God has more for you, baby. Sound like one of the old mothers. God got more for you, baby. <laughs> or as Mike likes to say, God got something for you, baby. It ain't candy either. But you know, God <laughs> has something. God has more for you. You can encourage them. But while you're in these behaviors, you need to take care of yourself. And so we're going to go down to the doctor's office and we're going to see what we need to do, what we need to get you on, what we need to pick up to make sure that you're safe, that you're not, you know, in a, putting yourself in a situation that could ruin or, or really, you know, downtrod the rest of your life. That's a good steward. That's a good parent. And the, the Lord is, wants us to be good stewards over the children he's blessed us with. So th- that strict construction, especially by a man who ain't got a child, who ain't got a a wife. Jesus. (laughs) They just a single. A single man. Young man. Just talking. Oh Lord. Always talking. Always talking. And that's what I'm saying. Like what what why do you even have an opinion? There's some we just talked about this earlier in the show with the Arkansas thing. Mm -hmm. You if you don't have a, a, a seat in in the circle then just listen. It's not for you to, you know, have an opinion on this. Or even if you do have an opinion, keep it to yourself. They taught us that in kindergarten. Everything that you think and everything that, you know, comes up in your mind doesn't need to be blurted out. Keep it to yourself. If you got an opi- a strong opinion on it, keep that strong opinion. And then let's see if you really are going to apply it when you have children. Because when you actually have children, a lot of people's opinions about this type of stuff completely mm-hmm. changes. So let, let, let's visit that when you have children, you know, but right now it, that ain't your place. Yeah. All of what you guys said. Um, I think, you know, first of all, as a man, I'm not going to police what a woman does with her body. I'm just not. Even when it comes to, and I've said this on the show before, even when it comes to matters like um, abortions and things like that, I'm still very careful about what I speak on that because like I said, I'm not a woman, so I don't know, you know, what that process or what the situation is. But to make reference to the, as Reddit says, the OP's um, <laughs> status, um, I think for me, you know, if I had a teenage daughter, and I, I actually commented on the status, and I said, if I had a teenage daughter, I'm gonna do what I, what I have to do to protect to protect her. You know, like if she's out there having sex, saved or not, because we know there's some saved young girls that's in that's that's doing that. And if you are, God is a forgiving God. Like you know, I ain't here to judge that. It's neither here or there. But I am. If I know my child is having sex, I am gonna get you birth control because you know, being a teenage mom is probably not as fun as you probably as 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 some may think it is, or you know having to get pregnant and, and put your life on hold and things like that to try to, you know, you know, stop and take care of a child, like, or who's trying to be a young grandfather, like, you know, you have to go ahead and do what you have to do to protect your child and set and not set your child up for failure. Even though you might not like the decisions that they're making, you have to do that because it's better than like Ron said, than them, them sneaking around to the abortion clinics, you know, which I saw a lot of that growing up or, you know, or it's better than, you know, okay, they have this baby and they got to pick up a part-time job to support the baby. Cause now you say, I'm not helping you take care of the baby. So they're sneaking there. They have to get a part-time job on weekends. They're probably ain't not going to be in church on Sundays because they're in school. They have having to work on evenings, having to work Saturdays, having to work Sundays. So then we've started this cycle 
uh, well, I'm probably not, I'm not going to go to church because, you know, I work on Sundays anyway. I've seen these things happen and unfold and stuff all because people want to be, have this quote unquote tough love. There's other ways to show tough love in those regards, but setting somebody up or, you know, trying to teach somebody through, you know, not giving them the necessary tools they need, you know, is, is not the way. It's just not the way. And I think, you know, I think we speak on a lot of things that we don't have a lot of knowledge of, you know, and I think we mind people's business a whole lot. And so uh, for me, it's almost like the Will and Jada, you know, we we like to write, 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 mind rich people's business. We like to mind, you know, these women's business and, and or people. We're not even, you're not a parent. So how are you going to tell somebody how to parent their child or wow. even judge someone for the way they parent their child until you have a child or until, you know, it's your precious 16 year old girl that's sneaking around having sex and you're not ready for her to or you know have a, a a child or something like that i bet your attitude changes then so i think there's a lot of uh of of mining businesses going on but at the end of the day you do what you have to do especially when you when there's a, a child involved and i just want to add one last thing it's crazy that we would be okay with putting a child in a toxic environment rather than just dealing with stuff at the offset it makes no sense to me mm. and thank you guys for acknowledging that women should have a say in their own situation because that happens in church so much that we just get over policed and we get over like I was talking to my friend about this I'm sorry Mike but we get over policed because we haven't dealt with in the church people's sexual sins and any other sins and so everything that entices a man has to be controlled from the woman's side but I'm gonna let that go that's a no, no, no. that's ooh. that's a whole nother episode. Ooh, whole nother episode. I'm gonna let you leave that. Ooh. Get on the altar. I'm sick it's, of it. Yeah, come on here. <laughs> it's necessary. Y'all need to do a show on that. I'm ready. <laughs> no, I agree. I agree. So we're gonna move into the Reddit streets. I found a subreddit for Christianity, right? I there was quite a few that I saw. I'm only gonna read a few because of time. Um the first one is says, I really don't get why dressing up for church is so required. My mom is one of those people who believe we have to look our best for God. Honestly, I'm looking at the way people treat others and not what they wear. The church I've attended, haven't in a while, since childhood really puts an emphasis on wearing formal attire and dresses for women. In my view, it completely contradicts God looking at the heart over outward appearance. God must most likely doesn't care if I worship in jeans on my favorite t-shirt, to be honest. Any thoughts on this? It, this is so like, folks going to beat a horse to death, number one. <laughs> I it, it depends on where, number one, it depends on where you are with God. It depends on what house you're in. Um, the Bible does say, obey them to have rule over you, for they watch for your soul. If you go to a church, if you have submitted yourself to leadership that asks that you put on certain attire, then you've submitted yourself to that leadership, you didn't put on the attire. If you no longer want to submit to that leadership and you have an issue with putting on that attire, there be churches many. I'm talking about, and I'm talking just the apostolic people. There are churches many <laughs> where you can almost Burger King have it your way, but you need to judge that by the spirit of God. And you need, you know, like when it comes to pursuing God, just this is just Kenny speaking for Kenny. When it comes to pursuing God, I don't care about 
um, what uh, regulations you might impose on me in my worship. I don't care about that. As long as I can still reach God, if I'm in your church and I feel the presence of God and I feel the liberty of worship and I feel like I can get my breakthrough and I can live for God and you giving me a good word and, you know, it's not a toxic environment. I don't care if you tell me I got to wear a four-piece suit, a 10-piece suit every Sunday because that's how much I'm pursuing God, right? And so you need to let your decision be informed by your relationship with God, number one. But um, to say that God is not concerned with the outward appearance is, is, is facetious. It's not scripture. God is concerned with the total you. He's concerned with mind, body, and spirit. Everything that is concerning you, God is concerned about. And so to just completely diminish that God, God ain't looking on, that scripture that God looketh not on the outward appearance, that means that God is not judging you solely based on your outward appearance. That means that you may look ragtag, but if, if the Lord has been working on you and you have a prayer life and you have a life separated unto God, you can have possession anointing, uh, you know, a St. John suit or, you know, um, uh, M. Corbett collection suit doesn't, uh, <laughs> you know, you might be looking real, you might be looking real good, but that does not denote an anointing. That does not re- denote relationship. And that's what that scripture means. Scripture ain't got nothing to do with just because you got a guy looking at, yes, he is. Because the Bible also gives the intelligence that we are living epistles read of all men. And how you carry yourself should reflect the hope that you have in your heart for God. And if it don't, then something is wrong. And so I, I would, I would tell the, the, the poster, like ah, you, you, you're focusing on the wrong thing. You know, are you being fed at your church? Is your church an environment where you can grow? Are you getting the word? Are you able to worship with liberty? If you are in a crisis and can they lay hands on you, cast the devil out of you? Can they lay hands on you and you receive healing? Mm -hmm. Those are what you need to be looking for in a church, not whether they let you wear t-shirt and jeans. Because I'm telling you that ain't going to, when you're on your, on your last, you know, on your deathbed and you're drawing your last breath, you're not going to be thinking about whether your church lets you wear t-shirt and jeans over a suit. You're going to be thinking about that relationship you have with the Lord. And if you were able to cultivate that in your life. So I, they're majoring in the minors over there in that post. Uh, I'm sorry. I guess I'm just trying to follow the logic. Like why? Because my question would be like, why do we want to dress down for church? My mindset is coming from the culture I have at work. People during Zoom, they were like, okay, I'm not going to wear a tie. You know, it's a little less formal. And uh the court in our state issued a whole order and said, when you arrive in this courtroom, you will wear a suit with a tie. And if you feel like you can't wear a suit with a tie, give me a medical reason why you can't do it, because this is a sign of respect for the courtroom. And if the court of this country can issue something like that, then why don't we have respect for Christ to want to present ourselves in a way that's not looking like I just came out of bed? or on on the street, on my day clothes, you know? And I I think that's the problem I'm having. Like, why do we feel the need to dress down in church? What is that about? Like, are we giving God our least, you know? And and I don't want to sound judgmental when I say this, but it's just kind of like, 
we always want to make an exception when it comes to the church, because like, you know, God shouldn't be like this. So why y'all acting like this? And like, why do we put that standard on the church when it's just like, you know, there's so many other standards. You go to uniform when you go to work, you wear business cash. When you go to this, you go to prom and you dress up, you excited for that. So why are we excited for the house of God to dress up and look nice? And, you know, it doesn't have to be the show out the Mm. most, you know, I, I have two men of God who dress really well on this podcast with me and they will turn up in their outfits, but, and you don't have to be to that level, but you do need to look nice. In my opinion, you shouldn't be coming to the house of God, just looking any kind of way. Your hair should be done. You look, should look like you washed your face. You should look like you got yourself together and you didn't just roll out of bed. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, and that's just a basic that anybody could ask for. Nobody wants to see you show up in a place. You don't show up on a date like that. Mm-hmm. So why would we prepare for God like that? You know, we're supposed mm-hmm. to be the wives, you know, waiting for him to come back. We're supposed to be his bride. So why are we not looking like we're ready to be his bride? Wow. You guys, you guys really spoke what I was, what well, y'all took what I was going to say. <laughs> I agree with you both. I'm so sick of seeing uh bombers, t-shirts, distressed gentlemen, Chelsea boots on Sunday mornings. Stop. I don't know what in the world to do. I don't care how much you bow down before the father and 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 you know and worship. It's you know, to me, like Ron just said, y'all got a lot of respect for the co- for the courthouse, as we should. You know, we got a lot of respect for you know, certain places we go to a wedding and, and they put on that dress clothes, black tie. Uh, uh, it's a black tie fair. Whatever. We respect it and we honor. Why? When it comes down to the house of God, we got all of these. Well, ooh, ah, y'all about clothes. And it's not about the clothes. And I know there are some people that make it about the clothes and stuff like that. But here's my thing. You should always give God your best. Even if you don't have nothing but one dress in that closet, you know, put that dress on and look like a kingdom citizen. You know, if you ain't got but one suit in that closet. You know, mix up those shirts and ties and give God your best because I think we have gotten too casual for the house of God. Mm. And when we start getting casual for the house of God in dress, we start getting lacking and getting casual in other things until we start getting casual in the way we treat God and the way the anointing flows through in the house. And I'm not saying the anointing is in the clothes, but what I am saying is the way we present and present to God speaks a lot about how we're going to present to him in the in the spiritual things that we give him throughout that service. And I think the pandemic has has put a lot of like damper on that. But I think folks, for me personally, I'm not saying this because I, I have a clothing line or anything like that, but I've always been about, I've, I've, I've watched that growing up. I've, and there was a time in my life, my senior year of high school, I was going uh, on my way to college. I wanted to start wearing polos at church and I wanted to start dressing down for church. And I remember getting rebuked about it because it was like, you don't, that's not what we do. And it's not about us dressing up and, you know, all having all, but give God your best, look your best, look presentable, you know, and, and come in because my thing is if we're supposed to be living epistles, you know, and we're supposed to be, you know, a light in this very dark world. How are we presenting that way? And we, you know, we don't look like we look, we look broke down. We looking like, you know, we going to pick cotton in the field. We looking like, you know, we going to the grocery store every time, every time you see us. Like, don't nobody want to be a part of that, you know? And I think for, for me, it's all about like, what are you, what are you giving? How are you representing the kingdom of God? And like I said, I think we, we're, church is the only place where we get pushback on the way we're supposed to be dressing. Because your job will give you a dress code right now. 
and they'll give you a standard of saying, you know what, this is what we're looking for and stuff like that. But when it comes to church, oh, nah, see, nah. See, that's why I don't go to church. See, nah, Mm-mm, nah. You know, and I'm like, well, why not? Why not? We don't ask you for anything when you come in here. We don't. We bury grandma for you. Uh, come on. You know, we will go into church savings and your lights are turned off. We'll give you money to pay rent things like that and all we do is ask for you to look nice look presentable you know men to to put that shirt and tie on you know tuck those tuck that shirt in ladies just asking you to put that nice dress on for a few hours and come in here and give god your highest praise and that's the problem i think we got to do better folks we have to do better i have three more questions and i'm gonna end it because it's so many good things on here that it was so hard for me to pick just one we're gonna do a part two but um i only got three more and then we're gonna move out of the way the second the question is could you enjoy heaven without your entire family or friends hey i'm hoping this post follows community guidelines but i am generally curious i assume that a lot of christians have at least some non-christian friends family rather than going to heaven they would go to hell after death could you really enjoy paradise knowing that simultaneously someone you once held in high regard gets tortured in hell? Or do you believe that an alternative version of them is in paradise with you? I ain't going to help nobody. <laughs> Let me <laughs> this right now. Um, I love my family to death. But there's a couple of things. <clears throat> And maybe not, the, I'm, maybe I'm trash. Maybe I'm trash for saying this, but I don't care. I one, it's gonna be very hard, very hard for me to risk my life. I I haven't had a child. I, I'm not at that place. Maybe if I had a kid, I'd be willing to. I I love my mama to death. I would do everything in my power to save her. I'm not sh- jumping in front of no bullet for her. So why would I go to hell for her? I'm sorry. <laughs> and I, so I like, there's no reason. First off, I'm not going to be thinking about no family members when we in heaven. I'm going to be enjoying myself, looking at God. Jesus, you're great. Walking around in my mansion, wearing my crowns. And I remember in Sunday school, uh, a first lady talked about this. She said, we act like heaven just going to be where we just bowing down the whole time. It's going to be a good time. We having a feast. We having a like you think we having a good time down here. Like, it's not just going to be us bowing around the throne like, Lord, like, you know, and even if I do have to do that, hey, man, I would rather do that than sit and burn in hell. But I, yeah, no, I'm not going to be thinking about my family. And the time for me to be thinking about my family is now. And that means the witnessing needs to happen now. So if you're concerned about your family members making it, then my suggestion would be that the onus is on you to make sure they get there. Or to at least have tried to make sure they get there. Um, the McClurkins came out with a song many moons ago. And a portion of this song, I just want to read uh, just a few of the lyrics right here. Um, Donnie said, I don't need Peter. I don't need Paul. I don't need Moses. I don't need them at all. But just to behold, yo, Jesus, lovely face, just to feel the warmth of your holy embrace. He said, I'm not thinking about the sights and I won't be there to enjoy the view because I think heaven will be all right as long as there's you. And so I'm going to tell you right now, I love everybody. I really do. I love y'all. 
But if you don't make it, <laughs> I'm so sorry. And as the old song used to sing in the Holiness Church that said, you got a Bible you can read. If you die today, your soul be lost. Ain't nobody's fault but yours, you know? And so, you know, you can, and I mean, and I, and I, and I say this because I have an evangelistic heart. I always have. I love, I want, I, I, Michael tell you, I can watch a video of somebody being baptized or, you know, somebody being restored and I will just sit there and bawl because it's something so rich and so beautiful about someone obtaining salvation. It's so beautiful um, to see someone feeling the embrace of God again. I love that. And I love seeing people come to God. I believe in that. I believe that that's important. Um, but when it's all said and done and, you know, everything is over with and you still ain't got it together, I, I ain't nothing I can do. We had a good time on earth, you know, and if I don't see you no more, it was fun while it lasted, <laughs> but I got somewhere I got to go, you know, I, mm mm Mm-mm. And uh, another pastor said years ago, ain't no point in living all these years in this hell called earth and then die and go to hell. It just ain't worth it. I'm sorry. You ain't worth it. I don't care who you are. I j- you ain't worth it. Mm-mm. I'm so sorry. It'd be nice if you're there. Let's put it like that. Tell the original poster. It would be nice if my family is all there. But the ones that don't make it, I ain't shed no tears over that. I'm just going to be enjoying and basking in what the Lord has prepared for me. Wow. Um, Bishop Michael Fields, shout out to him, one of the best preachers to ever do it. All right. Preacher Messi said, uh, if you don't make it, it's not my fault. Hmm. And when I tell you that, you know, I, I shadow sentiments, like, you know, at the end of the day, like, you know, I do have extended family members and I need to do better about reaching out to extended family members anyway. But if I have extended family members, they need to know, you know, the gospel. I believe that God give everybody space and opportunity to hear this gospel and decide what they want to do, whether they want to make the call to discipleship or not. You know, he gives us all free will to do so. And if you don't take that, you know, I can't make you, you know, you, you can lead a deer to water, but you can't make them drink. And so, you know, we can, you know, I can offer you, you know, as much prayer and as much, you know, hope and try to lead you in that direction. But if you don't decide to make that, I can't feel sorry for you if you don't make it. Because I'm Michael going to try to his best to make heaven his own. Amen. And, you know, I, while I'm up in heaven, you know, eating those fruit trays that they're going to have up there. <laughs> And that angel hair pasta, you know, they're going to have a real angel hair pasta. Uh, they're going to have a real angel hair pasta and those uh, meatballs. They're going to have meatballs and stuff, all the meatballs and stuff you want to eat. While I'm up there enjoying that in my robe, you know, in my uh, uh, mohair robe, you know, for winter and then for spring, they probably got a silk robe we're going to wear. You know, I, I don't know that I'm going to be thinking. About, I'm just going to be thinking about, you know, you know, walking around heaven all day. You know, all day, because this is what I'm living for. You know, this is what I'm living for. This is what I have lived for. And, you know, I'm not going to say like I, I I might would, you know, step in front of a bullet in front of my for my mom or something like that. But to go to hell for her or anybody else, I'm not, you know, I'm just not. So, you know, to God be the glory was what I always say to everything that happens but you know uh, to the original poster you know i you know i i want you to understand that it doesn't make you a bad friend or you know if you if your friends don't make it they just that was on them because you 
they have to give an account for what they did or for what they do. And you have to give an account for you. We're rounding down to two more questions and we're going to probably have to do a part two sometime later on. Um, This one says, how do you deal with frustration when you feel frustrated because you don't achieve what you want or not being successful? In general or in the church? In general. I guess you can, a little bit of both. I would love to hear a little bit of both perspectives. So outside of church, um, for instance, I can speak from experience. I was uh, somewhat frustrated in my career. And so that prompted me to begin to look for, you know, for different avenues um, in which I could grow myself. And so uh, that led me down the rabbit hole of research and it helped me to actually find, well, I found a, 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 a position close to what I do now and I applied, but a whole nother company contacted me for an interview and it put me in the place where I am now. And I actually really like it. And so um, I think you can turn your frustration into productivity outside of church. If we're talking about like in church and you feel like God has called you to another level or whatever, and you haven't achieved that, um, the Bible says, wait, wait, I say on the Lord, because there's no amount of um, ambition or no amount of um, drive that can, you know, push ahead God's timing. When God's ready for you to move forward, when God is ready to elevate you, um, you will be elevated. You know, promotion comes not from the north, the south, the east or the west. The promotion comes from the Lord. So you got to wait on the Lord on that. And when the Lord uh, sees that you're ready, sees your diligence, sees, sees your sacrifice, he will open the door. And, and the Bible calls it a door that no man can shut. And you will be able to walk through it and to operate in what God has called you to be. So that's my advice for a church person. And then outside of church, if we're talking about just natural things, you can use your ambition. But also, um, even with the natural things, we as Christians, we need to be praying and seeking the face of God concerning everything, you know, even our job, because ain't no need in pursuing, you know, a career or anything. And you end up in a toxic environment because you didn't consult the Lord. You know, tell the Lord, be specific about what you want. That's what I did. I write it down. The Bible says, um, one of the prophets said, write the vision and make it plain upon tables that he that readeth it may run. So I write my stuff down. I got a little book and I said, this is what I'm praying about. This is what I want to see. And that's for both natural and spiritual. But spiritual, you can't, you can couple ambition with God in the natural, but in the church, you can desire certain offices and certain spiritual gifts and certain anointings, but it has to come from the Lord. Your ambition ain't going to get you there beyond. You just need to be in a place of prayer where you fall in love with prayer and fall in love with the Lord and fall in love with his word and all that good stuff. Then God will, you know, will honor you. But yeah, those are that that's my two cents, I guess. Yeah, I think um, this applies to all things for me. Um, when I'm frustrated, first I rest, then I turn my frustration into optimism and try to look on a brighter side of it. And then I do what I can. So in a, a personal capacity, like when I feel like I'm hitting a wall with work or where I'm trying to go in life 
Um, you know, I rest for clarity. And then afterwards I'm like, okay, is this really as bad as I think, as I think it is? Because mindset is everything in my mind is always been, um, I'm a, I'm a person who like, I can get really pessimistic <laughs> and you start going down a whirlwind of just like, oh my gosh, the world is falling apart. And it's not, you know, certain things, even with my like job, I'm like, okay, I don't know about this, but certain things are training. Certain things are, you're getting tools, you're building your toolbox, you know, certain times you just got to flip things and be like, okay, you know, it's not what I want right now, but it's working me towards something. Um, because we're never really stagnant when we think about it. We're always pushing towards something. You didn't waste your time. I think a lot of times we get caught up in, I wasted my time. You never waste your time. It's always a lesson in something. We have to flip the script in our minds first before we can do something. And then, like I said, do what you can. So like, whether it's to pray and be like, Lord, it's time for me to move. Should I take on more assignments? Should I create my own space? Um, should I start my own, whatever, you know, got to do what you can, what's in your power. Um, and even in the church, like I don't have any ambitions to be elevated in the church, but there are certain things that I do see in the church that I'm like, Hmm, I wish we had more of that, or this would be nice for our whatever, or, you know, we should fellowship more. I have certain thoughts. And when that comes into my brain, it's immediately for me to be like, okay, what can I do? How can, what can I do to make the situation better. There is a time, like I said, where God's going to tell you, you don't need to stay in the situation that you're in. So I don't know why that came to my head, but um, it was good. there are times where you're like, you're going to have to change, but make the best out of the situation. Start something new. Like we had an apostolic kickback because I was just like, you know, I want to be around more young people who are apostolic. And um, I was telling my saints about it and they're like, oh, start at the church. So that's something that's in my in the works in my mind of like, okay, summertime, I want to have more gatherings of apostolics and everybody getting together and just fellowshipping outside of church. You know, like there are certain gifts and things that we sit on or certain visions that we sit on and we're just like, I'm waiting for somebody to tell me to do it. And it's kind of like you get it started, you get it running and then go get the permission. And And I hate to say it like that, but people are not going to just give you permission to just do everything until they see something. And so you got to act first. Wow. Wow. Did not our hearts burn? My God. Stop, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> um, definitely, you know, in agreement with what you two said, I know even for me, I got frustrated last week. Um, in my job where, you know, I was working on a, on a dual role, right? Um, and applied for the job that I was kind of interim, um, that I was um, the interim manager for and pretty much got told last week, oh, we went with someone else. Like you did, you're doing amazing, but we went with someone else that had more experience. And I was like, oh, so I've been doing these two jobs and this is what you, you know, your feedback, whatever. So it was frustrating. I remember calling um, Kenny and I was talking to him about it. And pretty much he told me what he said right here on the show. And sometimes, um, sometimes, you know, you get into these modes where you feel like, okay, like I'm going in circles. You know, I'm, I feel like I'm not going anywhere. I'm not really achieving the success that I would like to achieve. But my sentiment is always once I get past the frustration and the sting of rejection, the sting of, you know, you know, of being told no, 
I always remind myself that everything happens for a reason. And sometimes we might not be in a place where we are ready to to jump into these certain positions and roles. And it was confirmed yesterday. Like I was speaking to someone in my job, the site director in my job. He was just like, yeah, he said, I think you're doing amazing. He was like, I know you went for that position, but I think that's something else bigger for you because no one was going to understand if there was any hiccups with the position you went for. You know, no one was going to understand that, you know, even though this role is new that you, you know, that there was going to be, it's going to be one of those things where you had to roll the ball real fast. And so it was just refreshing to hear that. And it was just a dire reminder that sometimes we go for things because though the the salary looks great or, you know, this title looks great, you know, on my office door and things like that. But sometimes we don't know, you know, what the ins and outs are. And God sees that a little bit further than we can, you know, and trust and believe last thing you want to be is in a toxic work environment. And as far as like a spiritual side, like, you know, even for that same sentiment, sometimes, you know, we're so caught up in trying to, you know, rush into these different positions and stuff because we feel like time is getting away. I know for me, like, I'm like, oh, I'm 30 years old. I'm sitting in church. What am I doing? You know, like, what am I supposed to be doing at 30 in church? Like, you know, and sometimes like, you know, I don't think there's a, we, we put these parameters and these time limits on God about what he's doing in our lives and stuff. And we have to remember that, you know, there's no, you know, there's no, there's no time limit on it. There's many examples in the Bible about how God used people, you know, in their old age to get his assignments done. And I think sometimes like for me, I look at people that's like in their early twenties, they're doing this, they're doing that in church and in ministry, but I don't know what backgrounds that they're going through, what sacrifices they're making. I know what I was doing in my early twenties and that wasn't necessarily always in church. And so I think for me, um, you know, getting past, like, you know, staying in your lane in this moment, you know, staying in your lane, doing what God has, has, has called you to do, even if it's small baby steps, if God has called you to clean the vestibule at church, you clean it with all your might. Maybe God has called you, you know, to coordinate something at church that could lead to something bigger. A lot of times we want these, these roles in church that are, that, that we deem as huge and we deem as big, whatever. But sometimes the most impact that you can make is sometimes these smaller roles, whatever, where you're coordinating something to get the people to fellowship, or you're coordinating something that, you know, is going to, going to, be a better project management for church because we, 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 you know, in church now we need people that's good at live stream. You know, we need good ushers in church. We need, you know, people that's good at music and stuff, but we miss a lot of these things because we want to do what we feel is glamorous and stuff. So just remember to stay in your lane and let God be the one that, you know, creates the blueprint for your life. The last thing that I want to ask, and I'm going to jump off, um, let me get to my questions here. Do my political beliefs make me a bad Christian? I've been a Christian for all 23 years of my life. I'm not a perfect Christian. I don't go to church. I don't go to Bible study. Whoa. I don't have any of the same conservative Christian beliefs a lot of my family has. In fact, I have a lot of liberal and progressive views that have made me feel like an outcast from the Christian communities I've been exposed to. I struggle with my faith sometimes because I have certain beliefs that don't align with my community. Like I'm pro-choice, pro-immigration, anti-war, anti-death penalty, etc. I aligned myself with these political views because I always thought they were the right and kind choices. Wow, that's deep. I always thought that I should try to live my life with love, acceptance, and understanding of all, regardless of their background, gender, financial status, 
past choices or current situations. Maybe my understanding of Christianity is ultimately flawed. And I know I'm not the most well-versed Bible literate Christian, but I've always thought I had a decent grasp of my religion. So essentially, am I a bad Christian because I believe in these things? I'm still stuck on, I don't go to church. I don't go to Bible study. I'm like, <laughs> I, can, we, can we circle back today? Because I need you to go. That's why she, that's why she, the original poster felt like that she was a Bible illiterate. <laughs> I'm like, baby, go to church. You know, we, we need to start back to the basics now. We need to go to church. Um, okay, but to the other part, you know, once you get to church and you start going and reading your Bible and all that good stuff, um, I think that we live in a secular world, right? And while our faith and our religion doesn't form um, many of our, of our decisions, um, we have to remember that in our in our democratic process, especially in this country, we're not electing the next bishop. You know, we're not electing the next. You know. Um, assistant presiding bishop or the next whatever, whatever role in the church. And so um, as long as you are informed on um, what you're voting on and you have an understanding, you're not just voting, you know, out of, you know, just for the influence of other people or you're allowing just things to influence you, you know, undo. As long as you're doing the research, as long as you understand what these candidates um platforms are then that's you know that should inform your vote now if your candidate is voting for the abolishment of church then i mean yeah okay at that point you need to really rethink if you want to vote for the candidate especially you being a christian and you still need to go to church because you haven't been and so i need you to go and if you can't go if it's been abolished sweetheart sugar go to church and go to bible study and read your bible but um, yeah, no, I, I think what has happened in recent years, and I was just telling someone this the other day, is that like when I was younger, um, and when I say younger, I mean like even like my late teenage years, 18, 17, 18, um, I don't remember, I remember elections. Uh, I remember the first election I voted in. I, re- I remember the process. I don't remember people coming to contention like they have the last few elections. Um, People held their beliefs and people held their um, deal breakers with candidates and with political parties and all that stuff. And, you know, it just, it was what it was, but it was never like this, this eruption to the point that, you know, people aren't speaking or people, you know, you can no longer be my friend because of what you voted for. And that's because of, you know, the amount of politics that has set, you know, seeped this way into a toxic, you know, place. Now, you know, the political system in this country is very problematic. And, you know, we're seeing it's like a reversal. It's almost like we're going backwards. And so, you know, you, who you stand with and what candidates you stand with has a tendency to inform somebody on what you believe, you know, I.e., if you stand for Trump, you believe this, that, and the third. If you, you know, were an Obama fan or you, um, you like Uncle Joe, you know, you, you're on these, you know, these certain wavelengths. 
And people inform, use those decisions to inform, you know, how they see things. And what happened was the white evangelical church, and just call it out, um, they've held on to um, these ideologies of um, nationalism that don't exist in the black church. So we never, we were all raised in a black holiness church. Um, well, you, you, you come out of Baptist, right, Mike, or Methodist? Don't do that. I do not. Don't have those people thinking. You know, I come out of old, old, old sanctified church. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, <laughs> no, but, um, you know, we were raising that. It, it, it wasn't, we weren't um, berated over the pulpit about how we voted. And it wasn't this, this, this nationalism that existed where you, you know, having whole services where flags align in your pulpit and all that stuff. That is very synonymous with the white, white evangelical church. And that includes apostolic churches that fall under that banner, uh, predominantly white. And what happens in those circles is if you don't subscribe to conservative um, viewpoints on all dockets, that's down the list. I don't care. You might, because it's very possible for you to be conservative on some issues and, uh, and liberal leaning on others. And so, and that's just a balanced mind. You know, you can be against, you know, this one thing, like I'm fiscally conservative and but I'm socially a little more liberal leaning because as a black man in this country, as a black person in general in this country, I see and I feel the effects of being that, you know, in this country. And I see how there are many laws that adversely affect me, including we just saw in the news and the media, how many of these big banks, these major banks in this country have predatory lending um, policies when it comes to people of color. They're offering us higher interest rates and spikes and balloon payments. Whereas our white counterparts with the same credit score and the same pedigree, they're getting breaks and stuff. So we see that. So yeah, I have to allow that to inform my decision on who to vote for. And so there, there could be you know, pieces that I, I, I'm a little conservative on this, but I'm very liberal on this. I'm usually liberal on this. This I'm not as liberal on. I'm a little more moderate. That's a balanced mind. And that's an informed mind. And the group think that I got the, you know, I'm in church and I'm a tongue talker. So anything conservative, I have to, no, that's not because you're, you're voting against your own interests, you know? Um, and can I help somebody that God is not a political God? That God isn't, you know, we don't serve a conservative Jesus. <laughs> I mean, we don't serve a liberal Jesus. He's just the one that's on the throne. Let's put it that way. And so when it comes down to that, you can't demonize nobody, you know, on their walk with God on how they vote. Unless, let me put it like this, unless you're voting or unless you are allowing your decisions to subjugate somebody else. Like, I, I ain't going to tell you the Lord is, is honoring, you know, your sacrifice and living for him and you vote for slavery to be brought back. You know, I, God ain't in you and he ain't got nothing to do with you, you know. So I think for the original poster, first go to church, read your Bible, but also um, don't think that you have to subscribe to a certain uh, political system, political party, or just vote down the party line just to appease somebody. God ain't looking for that. When you stand before God, he's not going to ask you to present your ballot. He's going to ask you for what you did. What were the deeds that were done in your body? Did you live for me? Are you sold out for me? That's what he's looking for. 
he ain't looking for your balance. So that's my advice. That was really good. Um, you raised so many good points. There is no moderate standing anymore in our country, which is a problem. It is you got to choose one side or the other, and um, that's created a lot of issues for a lot of reasons. Um, I guess first I just want to say politics is in everything from the water you drink to the place that you live to how much you pay in gas is all political. Um, so I want to establish first with the saints that I'm just going to pray and I'm I'm not involved in politics and, you know, that needs to be done away with and quickly because your whole life is political. And even the fact that you're going to a church is political. So that whole thing of just not being involved in politics is not going to pass. You can't be an ostrich in our country. That's just the way it is. And if you are an ostrich, just know that somebody's making a choice on your behalf and you don't have a say. And I don't know what's more devastating to have someone choose for you or to choose and lose. So um, I would rather choose and lose. Um, second, I'll say this. I agree with the author in that I'm finding myself to be a lot more liberal leaning than I was expecting. Um, and it's something that I've been like, not necessarily struggling with because I just feel like it's the right thing to do. Like you already addressed Kenny, the fact that they don't not going to church and stuff. So I'm not even going to give that any thought. We already know like, but it's just like a personal thing for me. And you talked about your political standings. Like I I'm very more socially conservative, um, anti-abortion, anti-death penalty. Well, that's the thing, right? They're, they're for the death penalty, which is something I don't believe in. So there's certain things, like you said, that it's not going to be a checklist of everything falls into this line and that one. Political beliefs vary. Um, but, and then I was a lot more fiscally conservative. I believe in programs for people who need help. Um, I believe in social welfare and all those things. But now that we've entered this space of me having to choose between the two, we don't have a moderate. I have found myself more liberal. I'd rather have more than have less because the more we take away, the more that's scary to me because of where we stand in our society. Sorry, it's taking me a long time to say what I need to say, but the where we stand in our society, like, you know, you end up being in more spaces where it's more pro LGBTQ rights and all of these things that you're not necessarily fully believing in. But I think for the sake of where I stand as far as humanity and making sure people have rights that are not taken away from them and making sure that we do have these social welfare programs in place and all that stuff, I have to align with it in that space. And that doesn't necessarily mean you have to agree. And that's the thing is like the democratic world is very diverse. There are moderate Democrats. There are super liberal Democrats. And that varies. Like we said, political issues is not just a one, a two party system. And, and that's the thing that kind of like is annoying about America, right? Is that we have to choose two parties, but that's just the way it is. Um, I would love if we had more, um, but yeah, I don't, to the poster, just getting back to the main question, I don't think it's an issue that you're necessarily aligning with something um, that's more liberal than what your um, church counterparts are. 
I don't see that to be a problem at all. I'm glad the fact that you're aligning with something in the first place, because what I'm seeing is a lot of saints that are just apathetic to all of it. And I think that's um, the more scary situation to me. I would rather you choose a side than not have a side. Um, So that's why I stand on that. The saints can say what they need to say about leanings. But like I said, I would rather be more inclusive because the world's going to do what the world's going to do. And us fighting it as evangelicals, I could care less. I'm sorry. I love America, but I could care less about America <laughs> until America cares about its people. It's about citizenship. So, wow. Um, yeah. What you guys said. Um, one thing that I really loved that the original poster said was I aligned myself with these political views because I always thought they were the right and kind choices. I always thought I should try to live my life with love, acceptance, and understanding of all. And that really stuck out to me, um, you know, when it came down to whoever the original poster was, picking those political um, beliefs. For me, I am socially liberal. I'll put that out there. And I am, I would say, fiscally moderate. Um, And I have questioned myself whether I was a bad Christian over since this 2020 election. Here's why, you know, never before did have I've seen such a great divide in, you know, the political parties. Matter of fact, I was a little bit, I was one of those people where I voted, but I was a little bit more apathetic about what was going on in politics. I was like, you know, take it or leave it. But over since 2016, uh, up until 20, you know, up until now, I've been paying a lot more attention to what's going on in my political surroundings, right? And so... This last election, we saw this great divide. We saw people, you know, even within the apostolic faith, you know, literally at each other's throats because of political choices and things like that. At the end of the day, any any policy that is for the people, it doesn't matter what, what background these people are, you know, their their lifestyle choices or anything like that. Like Kenny said earlier, we're not electing a bishop to rule over the United States. That's what we have pastors for. That's what our job as believers are, is to show people the, a more perfect way. But until they hear about this, you know, this God that we serve, we need to, uh, for me, I'm going to always be on the side of making sure people have equal rights, regardless of who <laughs> they are, who they identify as, what they, what they identify as, anything like that. People are human at the end of the day. And it's shameful and it's a little bit selfish to me when people can look past those things and still screw out their, you know, anti-abortion rhetoric rhetoric, or their anti-LGBT rhetoric. And why are we voting someone in that supports this and supports that? They pres- they are president over the people, not over a political race of people. You guys would love if there was a president that just presided over you and your white policies and your white churches and stuff. Y'all would love that. And that's what President Trump was to you guys. He was the person that presided over you all as white people. And now you have somebody to say, hey, like we have to look at policies for everybody, things like that. That makes you upset because it gives people an inkling of an opportunity to inch closer to having the same access to the same opportunities you all have. And you all don't like that. That's just like, that's why you guys did what you did on January 6th is because you knew that the Senate is, was now going to, you know, was going to be turning blue and the house, you know, we, now there was going to be opportunity for 
uh, the marginalized to have a chance at having equal opportunities and equal access to the things that you guys have been having a monopoly on for the last, I don't know how many years. And so when it comes down to, you know, do your, do your uh, political views make you a bad Christian? No, it does not. What's going to make you a bad Christian is if you don't start going to Bible study or you don't start going to church, mm-hmm. you know, that we had to have a different conversation, but anyway, um, <laughs> but you know, no, your political views don't because the Bible tells us with love and kindness, have I drawn thee? And if to me, if you can't show people love, if you can't show people grace, if you can't show people kindness, all because of what you believe in this nationalism and stuff like that, I don't know how much stock I have in your salvation anyway. And like I said, I've sat in black church spaces. This is for the black church. I sat in black church spaces where they've encouraged believers not to vote or they encourage believers to be apathetic and stuff about politics because it does not fit the mold of their doctrinal beliefs. We're not voting doctrine here. That's your job as a leader. But because you all don't want to do the work or put in the work to outreach to communities that need to be, you know, saved, that need to be evangelized to you guys rather, you know, sit up in your own corners, lock your doors and, you know, be apathetic about what's going on around you and not have a voice or or be the voice of concern. Take these. And it was the same thing. I said this on the show multiple times. I remember when uh, George Floyd was killed, May 2020. And there was a lot of uproar on social media, you know, a lot of uproar on social media. There was a lot of back and forth on social media. What killed me the most were the apostolic people saying, well, if these, you know, well, this wouldn't be happening because racism is a sin issue. Yeah, it is a sin issue. But that's your band-aid for putting for 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 a bigger issue that's going on. Or you had a lot of people saying like, well, if y'all would just receive the Holy Ghost, y'all wouldn't be acting like this. This is what they were saying. And I'm saying you all are saying this because you're too lazy. You're too lazy to get out and 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 to support and stand in arm or stand in in support and stand in respect of what's going on around you until it happens to you or your loved one or somebody that you're close to. But because a lot of us as apostolic people, we become self-righteous into a point where, well, I know, you know, I'm favored by God, so I don't have to worry about these things. Well, I, I'm, I'm saved. I ain't got to worry about race because racism don't affect me. As You know, since I had the Holy Ghost, I'm favored by God. You know, God's going to look out for his people. Yeah, that might be true. He's going to look out and he's going to favor those that he favor. But at the same time, what about those that don't know your God that's, that's having to always you know look somewhere else for hope look to the alcohol bottle for hope look to the crack pipe for hope what about those people and you you claim to you know you claim to be saved and claim to be and that's that's what it is and i think so no the question is it doesn't make you a bad christian it actually makes you you know actually a little bit of a better christian until you go to church um you know for having these political views because your stance and your reasoning behind it is a heart is more of a heart issue and not because mm. something that you're trying to do because you're trying to you know come from this place of hate or come from this place of you know arrogance or something like that so anyway i'm off that soapbox Ooh. i said something real quick yeah okay two real quick points because i know we got time so but i like what you said mike i like what you said ron like number one if pastors would do their job, we wouldn't have to try to elect politicians to come and mm. take care of our congregations. That that's one thing. If you if you could pastor your own church, please and thank you. 
we could worry about electing politicians to do what we need politicians to do. So teach your doctrine, disciple your people, pastor them, and then you won't need a president or a governor, et cetera, to you know, take care of that realm. Number two, this is a very, I'm just about to make one of probably the very controversial statement, but it's the truth. What a lot of apostolic faith preachers, and I'm just going to speak to a certain community, but this is a blanket statement for many communities that um, exist outside of our apostolic realm. What a lot of apostolic preachers would like to see, for instance, with the LGBTQ+, you know, all that community is for them to be living on the streets, drug addicted, and devoid of any help. And they will get in their pulpits and preach on them and talk about that's why they're ridden with AIDS. And that's why all that's the judgment of God. No, that's the neglect of the church because we are the hands and feet of God. And you're wondering why you don't see more in that community being saved and more in that community ascribing to apostolic faith beliefs. It's not because God isn't drawing some of them. It's not because God isn't dealing with some of their hearts saying, man, I want some more. I want more from God. I want to learn about God. It's because we have, we have created a barrier between us and them. And we do it not just with that community, but with so many different communities that exist in this world because we feel like it is an affront against what we stand for. Not recognizing that the power of God what does the scripture say? Once I have spoken and twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God. God has the power to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. He can do anything, but we don't let him do anything. So we police people and we try to control and consolidate who has access to certain things, not just in the church, because we do it in the church. We t- you know, the that you have someone that comes in of a, of a certain persuasion and we don't make them feel welcome. We looking at them. Hmm. When the altar call is called, we turn around staring at them. Like, you know, you wouldn't want nobody to do that to you, but we're doing that. And then we vote. And I'm just saying a blanket statement because I know not us three, but we vote these conservative values into politics. So not only do they not have a church to run to, but they don't have a government to run to. They don't have anything to run to. What do you want to happen to them? Do you just want God to destroy them? I don't know what you're looking for. That's not compassion and that ain't love. And that ain't what God, you know, put us on this earth. We are his hands and we are his feet and we ought to act like it. That's all I had to say. I'm sorry. No, I so many thoughts from that. One, it's just like what we see a lot of times in our churches, right? The more restraint you put on people, the further they go. And it's kind of like if we just got to a place where we could agree on certain basic human rights, right? Then maybe we wouldn't have them pushing so far. Maybe we wouldn't have be so divided and liberalism is going to a place where it's just like, oh my gosh. And because the more you create this anti-space, the more it's like, well, we need to exist even more in this space. Sorry. And I just want to backtrack. You make a very good point. We act like God can't fix it. We put a limit on God and his ability to save and deliver. And we put that in our churches. 
And then we create this false standard that doesn't exist because we act like that sin is so much more prominent than anything else. And like I said, there is sexual immorality reigns in the church. The fact that women cannot show their ankles because it will turn a man on. Come on. That's sexual immorality. That's that's lasciviousness that the Bible talks about. And instead of just looking at the fact that we're talking about a, a man and a man and a woman with a woman, you guys refuse to look at the fact that you can't control your sexual immorality. It's hypocritical. It really is. And it's annoying. So I I don't know, like I, we do, we, we talked about this in the episode before that we need to take a look at how we deal with homosexuality and, and all of this stuff, because our stance is just making things worse. It really is because at the end of the day, we agree with a lot of things. If you look at the two political systems, they really do agree a lot of things. And it's, it's really ridiculous how far we're taking it because the divide really is LGBTQ rights. And like, you know, nobody was expecting the Supreme Court to do what it did with the Burgerfell and, you know, permit gay marriage. Nobody was expecting that. Society wasn't ready for it. And that's a whole different discussion. We could have a history lesson about it. But that was that wasn't something that the citizens voted for. That was something that was definitely just made by the judges. And we all had to get behind it. But after that happened, just the stark situation, like how our country just divided and fell apart after that, it has just been, it's crippling. So yeah, I'll, I'll shut up on that. Sorry. No, you're telling the truth. I mean, you are telling the absolute truth. It's, well, we, like I said, we need a part two we, there will be a part two later on whenever our EP executive producer um no this is like this is this is good stuff as uh, a good stopping point for us um see live we're gonna pivot into our music ministry of the pew babies and just gonna stop right here and just ask what have you all been listening to as far as music what has been blessing your spirits um, I could start. I've been in this Warnings dynasty, <laughs> living up with their music, just even just the Warnings, the brothers. Um, so that's been my big music for this week. So um, Secret Place by the Warnings is a hidden gem that I have just discovered. And I'm sure there's other people who have known about this for years, but um, I did want to showcase this song. The other song that I wanted to do and showcase was I've Got It by uh, Pastor Vincent Bohannon and the Winners Assembly Singers. my songs for this week i love it i love it brother kenny or elder kenny what have you been listening to i get promoted what in the world 
Hey, <laughs> <laughs> dickhead. Just went there, just promoting. Look, that's, that's look, that seems to be the, the going thing now. That's what I was gonna say. That's what these from apostles brother to apostles. So I don't yeah. know. Yeah, everybody's getting promoted. Okay. Uh, one of the songs I was telling uh, Mike the other day, it's not old, but it's probably like, what, like maybe eight or nine years old now. I don't know. Maybe not that much. But um, In Jesus' Name by Greg Roberts and Soul for Celebration. We cut that off before we have church up in here, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so that was one song I've been listening to. Um, I don't know where it came from. It just remind I was reminded of it the other day. And then the other one, I'm gonna take y'all back to, to the year 2000. Um, Y2K and um, all types of things were going on then. But we got a beautiful gem from back then. I didn't say it before, but that's Bishop Clarence E. McClendon and the Harvest Fire Mega Mass Choir. And that's from the Shout Hallelujah album from 2000 called There Is a Fountain. That will forever be one of my favorite songs. Uh, what, 22 years old? But yeah, I love that song. I have never heard that before. Really? I'm going to have to go back and That whole album is album. a just... <laughs> Clarence McClendon was ahead of his time with that one. That album is fire. <laughs> All right, you. Yeah, I'm gonna take y'all back to 1999. Uh, you guys know it. If you know it, sing it. If you sing it, if you sing it, know it. <laughs> <laughs> oh Lord! <laughs> oh, here we are. So, yeah, that was Hezekiah Walker Power Belongs to God. I think that was the last rodeo with the Love Crusade, Love Fellowship Crusade Choir. Um, and that's back for those of y'all that were singing in the choir back then. That's when you needed to have the lyrics on paper because that song is wordy. Okay. <laughs> I was like, how did Kenny's up here knowing all the lyrics? I'm like, I'm just Listen, I was I trying to remember. I'm, 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 <laughs> I ain't even going to sit here in front. I'm like, okay. I had to learn them. I, and yeah, like you said, you we didn't have screens or nothing like that back then. So you just had to know them words. This next song I'm going to play, I, um, I'm i only going to do one more because of time, but I struggle between playing one of, two, one of two of these songs off this album because this album to me is really good. I'm going to take you back to 2004. Um, and this is Thank You For Your Grace by Bishop Eddie Long. 
So yeah, that was Bishop Eddie Long, and thank you for your grace. This takes me to a time of listening to the radio uh, in the early 2000s. This is before the dark vibrato of the choirs that you have now. It's just when just straight church choir music was was out. Um, and so that was that was my second song. Um, my hymn this week. Oh, I have a hymn this week. The hymn this week is I Need No Other Argument. I have no other argument. I'm sorry. I'm trying to find the lyrics. I think the na- the original name of the song is called My Faith Has Found a Resting Place. My faith has found a resting place, not in device nor creed. I trust the ever living one. His wounds from me shall plead. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. Enough for me that Jesus saves. The ends my fear and doubt. A sinful soul, I come to him. He'll never cast me out. That was our hymn of the week. My faith has found a resting place. Let me just say this. Isn't it just like us Black folks to call the hymn something else than what it is? Mm-hmm. I am thine, or I am thine, Lord. We'll call it what? Draw me, because it's draw a reason. Draw me nearer. It's called I am thine, Lord, but we say so we draw call me it me draw me nearer. Me. Mm-hmm. And I, so, but yeah, that was the music ministry for this week. We're gonna turn this service back over to the hands of our executive producer, Sister Ron. Amen. There was another song, like I don't know if it's like "I Shall Wear Crown" or something like. This is a song, and it has a whole different title. I was like, "What is this?" I can't remember. Well, it's just like how excellent the name of that. That's song is the song. Praise. How excellent! Yes. <laughs> what? Perfect yeah, praise. it's called perfect praise. You got nothing in there that you says did, perfect it, praise. <laughs> right. It makes no sense. <laughs> um, amen. So do we have any final remarks? Any prayer requests? None. Amen. Somebody want to close this out? Deacon, brother, elder, bishop. I could have referred to both of us now. I'm trying to figure ah! out. <laughs> Mike is Mike. Mike is an apostle. apostle. He's an apostle to the food. Before I do that, I just want to thank y'all for having me on. I enjoy it. Every time I'm up here, I enjoy myself. So I love what y'all are doing. And please keep it up because it's so necessary. All right. As as we would say in the church, all hearts and minds are clear. (laughs) I saw your post about that, Mike. Not you saying it at work. (laughs) Yes, I almost said it at work on a Microsoft Teams call. There was like some of the VPs were on there, and I was like, "Oh my god!" Like, let me, let me, let me pivot real quick. (laughs) I hope you didn't see my comment because I didn't mean to say that. But (laughs) now I gotta go look. What you say? I just asked him because he's crazy. No, I just asked him. I haven't seen him in service until the benediction in uh, quite a few years. I didn't know he knew that part. (laughs) You know, he's one of those ones put their finger up and tip out early. I thought Mike didn't come into service until after the offering. So I thought he He stayed. He he comes late and leaves early. (laughs) Oh, okay, okay. (laughs) Got to make an entry and an exit. Why y'all calling me out like that? Why y'all had to call me out like that? (laughs) Oh, Lord. Okay. Lord, we thank you for this day, God. I thank you for the pew babies, God. I thank you for this because this is actually ministry. And I thank you for giving them, Mike and Deronda, a a mind to do this and to continue to do this. I ask that you continue to bless all of their endeavors and everything that they set their hand to do. I ask that you prosper in the name of Jesus. Lord, now as we go our separate ways for the week, 
I ask that you bless all of us and bless the listener. Let them be edified. Let something have been said today to help them in their walk with God and for them to recognize that you're a God of all flesh and there's nothing too hard for you. So we thank you. We praise you. We magnify you. These and all of the blessings we ask in the only name that matters, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus name. Amen. 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 Love somebody, y'all. Yeah. My life was church and all it. I'm a pew baby.